G'day and welcome to Mark and Cars Porsche Talk Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things Porsche, from air-cooled, water-cooled, rear-engine, front-engine, even mid-engine. There'll be something here for you, but most importantly, we're going to talk to the people who are passionate about our favourite brand. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen today, and if you've got any input, suggestions, comments, anything, please send me a message. You'll be able to catch me on nearly all social media platforms as Mark and Cars or just send me an email. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. G'day everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm your host today, Mark from the YouTube channel, Mark and Cars. I've got a special guest who has joined us for episode three, Lee Sibley. Lee, you need very little introduction for Porsche enthusiasts. You're sort of fairly prominent in the social space and conventional media space. So tell us a little bit about your background with Porsche and, you know, why people would know you. Uh, well, Mark, I want to start by saying thank you for, for having me on the podcast. It's um, it's a pleasure and, and particularly to get on early doors as well, like you say, episode three. So yeah, that, that really is my pleasure. So thank you, mate. Um, yeah, look, for, for me, my kind of Porsche history, I've been an automotive journalist now for about 10 years. I was lucky to get a job editing a 911 magazine, Total 911, for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, back in 2012. And I mean, it's just been just the most incredible journey since then. Um, met some fantastic people, uh, obviously been lucky enough to drive some outrageous Porsche machinery um, and, and loved every minute of it. And I don't really classify it as a job. It's just a serious hobby, if that makes sense, you know? Sure, um, sure. So just really lucky. And then just like through the other bits I do in terms of my YouTube channel and then the podcast and stuff, again, it's just kind of continuing that serious hobby, but just on other kind of platforms. So yeah, it's just yeah, it's great. Nothing, nothing short of good fun. So I do, yeah. I do recall, I do recall the, some of the uh, earlier issues of Total 911 when you very first, you know, started editing and I'm sure with a lot of uh, people, at that time was, you know, we're talking eight years ago, something like that, seven years ago, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, nine years ago. It'd be nine yeah, years okay. in September. Yeah, I remember back then, you know, we, we, social media back then what isn't what it wasn't what it is today. And I remember opening up the magazine thinking, who's this young kid they've got doing this job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was for me, you know, because traditionally, exactly you know, you're, you know, you know yourself, print media, they, they took a they took a great risk with getting you in that job, in my opinion, purely because it was an old man's job, you know, to edit a automotive magazine. Even the fringe ones, like Total Nine Eleven, is a you know not your mainstream automotive media. But even those yeah. magazines, to take a risk on someone young and for you to then lift that magazine to the level it was when you you know moved on, it was yeah. I take my hat off to you. You did a great job, and I'm, it was a worthwhile risk, in my opinion. That's um, that's I really respect you saying that, Mark. To be honest, because um, yeah, it's it's nice here. I, I suppose that there there was a risk from the company's point of view because um, I mean, I, I was I think the the next candidate to apply for the job, um, you know, in terms of how young they were, they were still double my age. That was the next youngest person. Sure. So um, it, it was a risk, but I think as well you have to remember that compared to a lot of other candidates that have been in the industry for a long time, I was more uh, financially economical to employ. If it, I, was <laughs> I, I get it, I get it. Look, you know, I'm, an employ- I'm an employer. I sympathise with that train of thought, right? No question. Exactly that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, instead, I'll, uh, instead of paying for a reputation, 
you're developing one basically that's what it comes yeah down to. yeah and 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 the the company i mean it's been taken over now it's part of a bigger plc but the company okay. at the time um was imagined publishing and they had a very strong business model i mean we, it was in the same university town I, I went to university i'm down here in bournemouth on the on the south coast it's basically sure. at, at the bottom in the middle um of of england and there's it was a really good university here it has uh, or it did have at the time the very best media school in in the country so i uh, and obviously as we were saying earlier on the weather's not great in the uk but it's probably fair to say it's best around where we are sure. here so i'm um, I, I came to uni here and, and stayed a bit for the weather. Um, I had an 18-month hiatus up in Bristol on another job. Uh, it was Fast Car Magazines, like a multi-mark enthusiast yeah, title. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, so the weather definitely pulled me back down, but uh, obviously the job as well. And, and again, imagine they um, they had this really good business model of employing people often that just fell straight out of uni into the job. Um, and what they might, might lack in experience, they've more than got through, um, you know, mm-hmm. grit, power determination to to kind of succeed and and that kind and of enthusiasm as well let's face it you know a, a young a young person coming in that job like i'm sure whilst i said earlier it was a risk it was a calculated risk because if you weren't going to be able to step up to the job there would have been an unending list of people that they could have just dropped you straight out and that's dropped it. another one in. and that's that's the ruthlessness of that industry isn't it Without a doubt. And, and and to be honest, again, I'm very kind of open about how things started for me. So in my 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 first job in the industry up in Bristol, I was a staff writer, which is T-boy, basically. Um, and it, although I was I was the only person in that office to have a degree in multimedia journalism, I was the only person to have um, a GCSE in English, which is what obviously you get when, when you leave school. It was just run by the firepower of enthusiasts, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But um, there's there's no money in publishing. And when you're a T-boy in publishing, you're, you're in trouble quickly. So I, I had to, to leave and do something. And, um, you know, when, when I applied for the Total 911 job, which many would say I had no real right to do due to my age and inexperience, but in for a penny, in for a pound, as we say over here. And, um, you know, they basically gave me, I went for the job of editor, which was the, the, the job being advertised. And, and they said to me after my second interview, they said, look, you, you're too young to be an editor. You, you, you don't have the experience. But what we will do is we'll employ you under the title of deputy editor. Um, you will assume the role of the editor. There's no one above you. In fact, there was no one below me at the time. It was a one-man sort of operation. But they said, we will give you six months to sink or swim. And if after six months you'll show you can do the job we'll give you the title of editor obviously there'll be a, a, a little pay rise in there as well to reflect that um and if it doesn't work out well look that's kind of fine so i, I was happy with that like i say going from from a staff writer on a, on another magazine to being uh, given a chance to jump straight to the top essentially i was very happy to kind of take that fantastic that, that, that risk it was a risk from both ways and and i was i was made editor three months later yeah, um, which i'm very proud about and and yeah, still true. still fantastic. hold on to it <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be hanging on to it with both hands and running. Now, tell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now let's, let's talk multimedia. Let's talk about your YouTube channel. You know, I watch a little bit of it. I, you know, just mainly because your core content is my key interest, as any viewers of this podcast have well and truly know. And yeah. the reason you and I are talking, how has that evolved for you? Have you have you found that process? Um, yeah, that's really interesting, Mark. So. I, to be quite honest, the reason I started the the, the YouTube channel was because um, we had a features writer who we took under, well, I took under my wing, if you like, at, at Total 9-11. And um, 
he Josh is fantastic writer you know good good guy good bloke he decided to move on and I said well look we as a magazine we need to um, take advantage of the of the digital age you know we're 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 an an old media if you like and whilst there is definitely an audience and I think there will always be an audience for for dedicated specialist print media I'm very passionate about that um you know there's there's a an obligation I think if you like to kind of have some sort of presence in the in this current world that we're in with video basically and 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 the company just didn't want to do that and I thought well that that is a missed opportunity not only for the title but for me kind of personally yeah sure Um, you know there's a there's a a different audience online so I kind of did it a little bit of that but I mean it was and kind of still is really again it comes back to that serious hobby Um, it kept me out of the pub simple as that kept kept me out of the pub did some videos it resonated um I was again just able to do what any good journalist does and work the contact book and, and sure. see yep. see what comes up and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it because it's quite easy online with YouTube to get sucked into this rat race of um content 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 um which you know it makes content like a throwaway word I prefer like the term video editorial whereby it's more considered and and you know but it's easy to fall into this trap of I've got to do a video once a week or every few days and you know keep pushing it but I think for me I would rather just put something out whenever it's ready so I could go two or sometimes three weeks without doing a video but I'll know that when it does pop it's a it's a quality video you know and um I, I, again, I don't know how you feel about it. It'd be interesting for you to kind of answer your own question there. But yeah, I, look, I kind of feel, you know, whatever whatever you do, because YouTube, it's it's there forever. I think it's really important to be able to sit there in 20 years' time or be able to sit there in 20 years' time, look back on your early videos and kind of go, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of proud about it, you know, and not think, God, what have I done or what was I talking about there or something, you know? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because... Yeah, like a lot of creators or influencers or whatever term you want to use or, in your case, professional journalists, right, the, um, is the, I think the, the pros and cons of the format of YouTube really have been it brings the entry level so much lower anyone can do it. You don't yeah. need, you know, like you mentioned earlier, your book of contacts. You know, that's so someone like myself has had – been able to, through my enthusiasm, have, haven't had to quit my job and go to sink myself into my Porsche enthusiasm. What I've been able to do is knock on this on the side while I'm generating an income and yeah. living the rest of my life. So essentially enable my hobby and share that passion. In, we didn't really have a forum for this 10, 15, 20 years ago. So that side of it's pretty interesting. Sure, YouTube rewards consistency through you know sharing your video through like-minded people that sort of thing yeah that whole algorithm thing I don't put a lot of value on it because you know I can't see myself any time in the foreseeable future where monetization is going to generate enough of an income for me to enable me to have a lifestyle I enjoy through having a proper job so and I'm not I'm not a kid who is just going to go and, you know, ride his BMX downhill at 100 kilometres an hour and go off a jump and end up in hospital and get <laughs> 4 million views out of it. You know what I mean? So that's, I'm, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going. And, again, like you mentioned with the um, print publication, niche print publication always having a home, the product I'm offering to YouTube and to quite to a degree yourself as well, we have a niche audience. It's not like we're ever going to be in the top 10 trending videos on youtube because of the topic we talk about it's well it's very unlikely anyway 
unless we're, yeah. you know, co-driving in a rally car that somehow Porsche won a WRC at, um, stage on or something like that. That's the only way we're going to end up in that type of situation. So as no, a result, no. as a result, I think that, so essentially for the type of uh, product that we're putting up, it's two types. There's either vlog slash disposable watch once, never watch again type videos, or there's a production which is a about a product as opposed to about a person. Yeah. I think that's pretty much how videos tend to fall these days. You know, sure, there's an educational factor, but you get that in the vlog stuff for a lot of people too. So, yeah. um, so you know, product versus person. To me, in my head, that's sort of how it works. And if you're going to do product, like you said, and you're going to hang your hat on it, spend the week in editing. If you're not, if you're just going to do the person, you can edit the thing in two hours, throw yeah. it up. Interesting term, actually. Now I've said that out loud. Put it up. Put it up to, to YouTube, right? And uh, and um, see how it goes. Now, ironically, the disposable YouTube products seem to be the most viewed. You know, the the biggest viewed videos are by far and away the people who vlog or do that type of thing. Even just in the automotive space, the biggest YouTubers yeah. are. You know. Outside of Doug Demura, Demura, of course, you know they are those vlogger style videos. You know, so yeah, and that's the thing. You know, you make a really good point there because um, you know I've I've had to study in the in the last sort of six months. Um, you know, my my numbers on YouTube in regards to like subscribers and whatnot. You know, they're they're fairly similar to yours. So I feel like you know we can we can discuss this sure. with mm-hmm. genuine parity. You know, yeah. and, and, and in reality, and, you mean yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, and yeah, but you you kind of you look at it and you know look at the numbers and. Um, I mean, there's some stuff like I've done where I've interviewed Ben Dimpson, uh, designer of the 964, the 959, the 3.2 Speedster. Um, it doesn't doesn't work at Porsche anymore, which was great because he he was able to kind of speak his mind. He didn't have to toe the company line. But sure. I mean, I, 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 that was a, a half an hour chat that I put up on YouTube. Um, it's had less than ten thousand views, and 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 really, uh, you know, that is gold. But I kind of I don't I don't mind that it's not kind of shut down the internet because so long as it's appealed to the people that have watched it and the people that have watched it have found that an, an enjoyable way to spend some time, maybe furthered their portion of knowledge, et cetera. Well, I'm happy with that. And it's like you say, I think you have to kind of choose your poison. If you want to go for the, the big hits, I would argue you, it's exactly that, you know, you go down the vlog style, you sacrifice um, kind of maybe quality of uh, content in terms of production and whatnot. Um, or if you want something that I would argue might better stand the test of time, it's something that's a little bit more considered in terms of that production. And, and that is kind of the, the way forward. As you said, the real positive is with YouTube, everybody can, can have a go. And I think where it's particularly in kind of Porsche circles, it works really well is um, like you say, your, you know, your contacts has come from, from absolute sheer enthusiasm and you are passionate to cover the brand and to cover other people's cars. And in a reciprocal way, they are passionate about you talking about their cars and covering the brand and stuff. And I think that's quite a magical thing, actually, you know. It's, it's one of the highlights. Talking about the brand, you, you know, very – I haven't really spoken to anyone who's had the both sides of the equation of the brand that you have. So I've, I've got a few questions I'm pretty curious about hearing your viewpoint on because, you know, you're also running that balanced line of – access versus opinion and where they go against each other, particularly with a German company, I can imagine, you know, so <laughs> the, um, how, how have, how, look, 
historically coming from traditional media, I imagine the majority of your discussions and contacts outside some of the technical personnel are purely with those that marketing department of that monster that is the VAG group these days, you know. So how have you? How do you find dealing with that? Um, I mean, yeah, it's particularly for specialist media. Um, there is, you know, some people think, well, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. But I think where, uh, and particularly the people at, at Porsche, GB, um, as well as AG, obviously in Germany, but I, I tend to deal with GB more. Sure. Um, there's, there's a real mutual respect for each other's work. And sure, I mean, look, my, my role as a journalist, and I, I would say this is for any any realm of journalism, whether it's automotive or whether you're a newspaper or political editor, whatever it is, um, with journalism, you must speak the truth, um, whether it's good or bad. If you don't, your PR. That is the difference between journalism and PR. Um, and my role is a journalist. And sure. I have an obligation to, um, you know, enthusiasts, readers, listeners, watchers, depending on the platform, um, to report the truth. And, and, and again, I think with, with regards to like Porsche GB, um, there's, a, there's a, a real mutual respect there. So if I find something less than ideal like i did with a, a taycan or taycan we're still trying to work out how to pronounce the thing um I, i've got i've got no problems reporting that and saying that you know that i think that for example you know that that taycan is a fantastic car as a product but there's no infrastructure yet for that to be um a feasible option for people you know do you, th um, do you think that's more of a geographic issue as opposed to a vehicle product issue yeah, without without a doubt. So, like you know, the fast chargers that Porsche, it's the Ionity network that there's Porsche, Mercedes Benz, um, sure. the VW, the VW Group, Mercedes Benz, BMW. They're putting in this um, pan-European infrastructure, essentially to rival Tesla superchargers. Sure. And the reason they're having to link up to do it is because obviously Tesla's got such a march and a steal on the on the market so far, um, and, and they will be the game changer in terms of people, you know, using an electric car as as a practical alternative to a combustion engine vehicle. Now, at the start of lockdown last year, there were eight of these chargers in the UK. Now, that is not enough. You know, some dealers have more than eight Taycan on their forecourt ready to sell to people, but there are only eight chargers. A year on, there are 13. Now, <laughs> that I understand with infrastructure, you know, these things do take time. And, and you know, I commend the people that have bought these cars because they've, they've adopted this new lifestyle. And that's what it is. It's an, it's You have to adopt a new lifestyle to run these cars. Um, they're, they're doing it early, which is great. But from my point of view, it's just absolutely not an option at the moment to, to, to drive that. That sort of car there's, there's simply not the infrastructure in, interesting uh, look this is going off a slight tangent because of you know the, yeah, the car you brought fault. up and I've, yeah. I've like i spent last night editing a Taycan turbo video that i did a review on okay so okay. it's fresh in my mind i only had it i only drove it last week the um yeah. here in australia actually i won't say australia i'll say perth because i'm in my little bubble here in western australia yeah the electric car uptake has probably been on par with the rest of Australia as a percentage of sales, but they tend to be more premium cars like the Taycan, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. And the higher end Teslas, I don't see a lot of model threes getting around or even any, I don't think metal model wise have even come to Australia. I might correct me if I'm wrong in the comments of anyone's watching or listening to this. The, um, and, but when you buy one of those cars here, 
everyone puts the charger in at home. And the reason I brought up the geography thing is it might be because of the way the homes or the existing electrical infrastructure and its age affect this ability to do so. Like the concept of, um, like I would never, whilst the, my wife and I discussed buying an electric car because we replaced her daily driver not so long ago. Yeah. It wouldn't have even been on my radar to rely on the existing infrastructure. That's and, you know, we live in the most isolated city in the world, you know, so, yeah, the, you know, yeah. I'm, I don't know what the charging facilities are like here in West Australia. If you told me there was an ionity charging station in Perth, I don't know where it is, but I would find out if I was in the market to buy one of these cars, obviously, okay? Yeah, Audi yeah. have gone hard on their um, e-tron products here in the marketing and everything. So I, I'll, I'll make the assumption those charges do exist around somewhere. I still in a very simplistic, probably old man mentality, why don't I have an adapter so I can just go turn the Tesla thing and plug it in, you know? But the yeah, yeah. that aside, yeah. Um, yeah, the whole concept of not having one at home is just baffling to me. And the other part of it yeah. is, you know, I've, I use a mobile phone. You might be familiar with them, right? The, <laughs> and I get my car and I put it in a tray and it charges. Why can't I have a mat in my garage and I park my car over and it charges? Could it be more complex? You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, you, you're right that um, people put the charges in at home and actually in, in this country there is still a, a government subsidy. They've, they're just reducing it actually, uh, but, they, they, you know, they want people to do it and that's fine, but it's still um, the whole idea of electric cars for me, it takes away the spontaneity of driving. Um, so, you know, if you, if you, you know, I mean, to me, like driving is meditation, you know, it's just, especially with all these lockdowns and stuff, sometimes the idea, the idea of concepts, just jumping in a car and going for a drive is absolutely beautiful for the mind, you know, sure. yep. and, um, but, you know, say you want to do it with an electric car and you end up going a little bit further than you should. Well, you know, with the petrol cars, you know, in this, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the, the phrase, you know, splash and dash, quick fill up and off you go. Yeah, for and sure. You can't do that. No, you definitely can't. hundred percent. If you've got business meetings like I have to do, you know, all over the country, you have to plan your stops. And whilst the, the manufacturers, not just Porsche, you know, they're selling you the dream of, oh, you can stop for a coffee. And you think, well, how many coffees do I really need in a day? And uh, my, I won't dwell on it for, for too too long, but when sure. I had a, a Taycan, I had an absolute nightmare charging the thing. Um, and similarly to where you have different petrol stations, you might have Golf or Shell sure. or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. There's, you know, there are different brands, but they all sell the same stuff, right? Yes. So you, you can still just splash and dash and off you go. Yeah. With with the electrification, all these different companies are trying to take a steal on the market. So depending on who the charger belongs to, you might have to have a certain fob or be a member um, or, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And then, so I had an absolute nightmare with this tie car and where I realized quite quickly, well, I'm not signed up to any of these. I don't have the membership card come through the post because I've had this car or I've got the car for 48 hours. You know, I then had to limp to a Porsche dealership, um, try and, you know, nick some juice in the dealership. Um, COVID was going on. It was a rare bo boiling hot day in the UK. I had to sit in the sweltering car. I couldn't have the aircon on because it drained the battery while it's charging. Couldn't go inside because of COVID, like I said. Sure. I then sure. had enough juice, which I sat there for like an hour and got 
a ridiculous amount of range, like 20, 30 miles. It was absolutely a complete waste of time. It basically gave me enough juice to limp to a motorway services 40 miles out the way of where I needed to go. Um, and then there were only two charge points. So I had to queue for 45 minutes till somebody in front of me was done with the charger, then I could use it. And you just go in what, what like, this is madness. This is absolute madness. So um, sure. to, to take it back to your question, you know, it is my job to report on that. And, and you know, sometimes... Sure. Um, and, and I think another thing I would add that in the in these day and age, institutions, and that includes Porsche, but it's not limited or exclusive to Porsche. This is in all walks of life, not just automotive. Um, institutions are looking after their own PR more and more. And, and, and the PR department, the role, rather than being reactive to the journalist, is now being proactive in the, the editorial or the content or sure. the slant that, that goes out. Um, and I mean, that, that's kind of quite a dangerous thing. And I, and I think that's why the role of a journalist is more important than ever, because the journalist has to be able to say, well, actually, that's not quite right and hold these companies to account. Um, and I actually think that is to the benefit of people like Porsche, because, you know, journalists, when they drive these cars and go, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And it improves the product. So it does all sure. feed in, providing the brand is willing to to listen but to go back to a question i think i'm lucky to have a very good relationship with a manufacturer whereby they they know i mean i I love the brand obviously i love the brand but i have to say when i think things aren't quite right or if you know products could do with improving or whatever um and and that doesn't mean it's not a case of biting the hand that feeds you and it means i'll never be given a car to review again it just it means i i'm would like to think i'm respected for giving my opinion sure yeah so you, you don't think you're going on their brown list no, I think if, if you start worrying about that, and again, I, there is a perpetual debate, isn't there, it, it, with regards to YouTubers and, and you know, influencers, which is an, an awful term. I mean, ev- everybody is an influencer because ev- we, we've all influenced at least one person in our lives. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, but in influencers, especially if we're parents. Exactly that. First and foremost, you know, by by virtue of that alone, you know, every parent on the planet is already an influencer. So, you know, these people that are called influencers online, I, I think it's a bit farcical, really. But just just um, so if I can just pause you for a second there. I just want to make a note. Any kids out there listening, just so this just proves dad is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dads have got to be cool, right? That's how it goes. But, um, you know, yeah, there, there, there is this kind of um, accusation, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's been put to, to YouTubers or influencers, whereby they just say everything's great because they get getting key, given the keys to these cars or, sure. or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, again, I think for those people, it's down to them as individuals to work out where, how do they want to be viewed in 10, 15, 20 years? That's well, yeah that, yeah, that point you just brought up about the uh, YouTubers getting flown to places and given keys to cars and for press launches in, in as well as or in place of traditional media of the last two or three years it's quite it's been quite obvious how the manufacturers and i'm not talking about just porsche here are very specific about who they bring and who they don't bring next time because of the result of the videos that get launched or whatever and um yeah. look this is no criticism or generalization by any means but uk Prominent UK auto YouTubers seem to be uh, get consistent invites where the Americans get dropped off the face of the earth pretty quickly. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's because of just the personality types and the upbringing of the, uh, the Americans are yeah. going, this is crap, it's- man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> whereas the English should be a bit more, I guess, uh, around the edges type thing. So it's, it's, yeah. I find it quite interesting, you know, with that discussion point you've brought up, that's all. 
Yeah, and 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 um, I I see it from both sides, you know, as, as you kind you of would. said at, at, at the top of the chat, and and I I would put that down to um, it just in terms of the amount of people that can can get to these things. I, I would say that that's the work of the PR department, and actually sure. those people are therefore very good at their jobs because I've I've seen um, the struggles that they have. You know, they so say there's a new GT3 launch, for example. Um, as in a first drive and sure. Porsche Germany will dictate to Great Britain how many seats are on the plane you know we, sure. we've because we, they've got we've, we can accommodate x amount of journalists and then they have to work out the most bang for their buck sure. um and, and you know yeah obviously I have suffered as a result of that because if they've got four seats well they're not going to take the editor of Total 911 they're going to take a freelancer that can write for Total 911 and GT Porsche and 911 and, and, yeah. and, yeah, and, and that's it, you know, and um, so it's, it comes down to bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of the, the, the influencers, if you like the YouTubers going along, I mean, I, I do personally think that is dangerous territory, uh, but then I've heard retorts from them saying, well, actually, you know, magazines, they're institutions in their own right, where they've got a duty to advertisers. So can what they're saying be trusted? I mean, it's, you know, yep. <laughs> poison. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, now, I listen to Road to Redline, which is, for those who don't know, Lee's one of a few people who are the hosts of that podcast. I quite enjoy it. The I think you've got a pretty good mix of personalities involved, which, awesome. well done. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, Joe and Andy, my co-presenters, heads will be getting bigger by the Sure. Minute. And <laughs> I told you someone listened. The... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but, look, for, I'll... From what I hear, uh, and you know, on Road to Redline, the it's, whilst the other two guys are quite um, less diplomatic about their where their heart sits on in the Porsche structure and what cars they prefer, you know, you, you're an, you're pretty, you, you know, you could be a politician. You know, with the way you, you know, <laughs> everything's not bad and everything's not good rather than, my goodness, I'm going to, this one's getting buried in the coffin with me uh, mentality, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me, how, how, how do you sit with your um, air cooled versus water cooled audiences? And tell me, wh- wh- how, where do you, how do you feel about that? You know, how, how, how is the old uh, air cooled cars, where do they, because, you know, you, Often you're brought in as an expert in the conversations because of your exposure to the vehicles, which inherently yeah. involves the latest and greatest. So you definitely come across as being heavily leaning that way. But I also suspect it's because that's where your expertise lies. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right there, Mark. Um, I would say, I mean, there's it's been a running joke, isn't it, on Road to Redline? That's I'm not sure where it's perpetuated from, but in terms of being like extremely pro water cooled and very um anti-air cooled which is absolutely not the case at all um i mean the, the air cooled is the just is, have a look over there right so just yeah this this is it yeah i've got to be careful here <laughs> the with the 356 in the background but no i mean you know, like, like i say it's, it's a bit of a running joke and, and i think that's the thing with road to redline and certainly in difference to the other media stuff i do is it's a little bit more sort of pub chat it's it's you know a bit more colloquial we can have a bit of fun it is, with it you yeah know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's basically taken into the, the form of some Mickey taken with these kind of views. I mean, the reality to me, like I say, the air-cooled cars, they are quintessential 911. There's no getting away from it. Um, I think where I have been the voice of particularly the 996, the first water-cooled cars, um, 
is the sense that I love an underdog and this whole kind of 996 movement that I've kind of um, tried to start or been very vocal in favour of, it basically got down to where I was sick of all these events whereby it was exclusive parking. You know, you had to basically submit or, or you know, send a picture of your car to the organisers of whatever event was going on and you basically had to tell them how cool you were by showing what? them what car it was. What events yeah, are these? Yeah. I've never heard of an yeah. event that you have to do this to. Yeah, you know, it's so all these paint to sample nonsense sort of events. And you know, to be honest, I, I remember um, Magnus Walker, obviously, I, I've done a few bits with him over the years. I remember chatting with him about it. And, and I think we share similar views in that regard, that Porsche as a brand, it's an inclusive brand. It's not an exclusive brand, you know. It, there's there's room for absolutely everybody. And there are, you know, I've, I've had, you know, leaflets and flyers stuck to the car you know send in your thing and we can put you on display on this show and it's and it, and it, and it'd always be some uh, a paint sample gt car or an old you know an air-cooled car or whatever sure. and and these kind of the entry level in terms of the 911 the entry level cars like the 996 and the 997 they kind of get left behind and to me like i say i know i love an underdog anyway but i don't think that's fair and i think today's 996 or 997 owner could be tomorrow's 993 or 964 RS owner you, you just you, you never know you just don't know people's journey and where where life is going to take them um, well, ironically so on that point you just brought up about the 996 997 because look here in Australia that is your entry point into 911 ownership financially yeah okay that's and in, in all reality it's not going to be long until it's actually 997 not 996 the way the prices have been escalating on 996 cars of late and yeah. the that whole to drive outside a couple of creature comforts that you get used to on modern cars, they still drive like a modern car. They, so the performance is, you know, we're talking low fives, high fours, depending on which generation you get with zero to a hundred or zero to 62. The, so the cars are fast cars. Sure. People say, Oh yeah, but my, my, Golf GTI, TCR does it in 4.1 or whatever. So, you know, what are you talking about here? You can't even blink in a second, you know. So as yeah. a result, the, um, the the actual dynamic of experience of ownership is so good, you know what I mean? So, And the car's going to be faster than you can drive most of the time anyway, let's face it. And as you get more modern cars, who can who can make the most of that capability out on the road? There's, there's exactly my point, you know, and where there's this kind of rush among owners over, say, 991.2 GT3 owners over the past year have been quietly siphoning off the car back into the network because they're trying to get ready for the 992 GT3 and be put in the good eyes of the dealer and stuff. And I mean, sure. you know, unless you are Lars Kern, who would lap the Nürburgring in the time he did in the 992 GT3, um, there's there's just no way you're going to jump out of the 991.2 GT3 and go, I just need a bit more GT3. Yeah, well, what, what else have you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that. You know, it's, it blows my mind, that sort of thing. But I think, yeah, I, you know, I couldn't go, possibly drive a McFarland first and strut front end again yeah yeah exactly that yeah <laughs> exactly my point you know but to, to go back to your kind of question and that i mean like i say that the air cool cars they are phenomenal i'd love to own one and i absolutely will one day um I, i've got a real hankering for a yellow that doesn't really matter what shade of yellow um a yellow g-bodied targa because like i say where i am down on the coast that would be in addition to my 996 sure. um because just a wonderful boulevard cruiser, 
obviously the 915 gearbox that that have to be uh, reconditioned because that everybody knows the stories of the recalcitrants, particularly when cold, when they're old. Um, but you know, we, so it have to have a good 915 gearbox to it. Um, and it's just a lovely car boulevard cruiser. So in the corners together, um, gives you that kind of the top down experience, but it's, in my mind, the, the, the classic cars in terms of open top, the Targa is the better one to go for. The, the Cabriolet, obviously, the shape's just absolutely not there. Sure. Um, interesting, you know, so- interesting you say about a yellow Targa, G-body, yellow Targa, because I don't know how you can, you're going to convince the, you know, one of the four owners that ever ordered one in yellow to sell it. Well, this is it. You know, there was a lovely one that came up at a specialist down the road from me, uh, maybe 18 months ago. And I, yeah. I mean, that was part of the thing that sold it. I mean, and the photography was amazing as well. It was a beautiful summer's day. And I was sure. like, that is the car for me. Yeah. But, you know, like, like I said, you don't know, you don't know where life's going to take you. And you know, I'll have one one day without a doubt. But that's my point. You know, it's not like I have any real aversion to air cool cars. I absolutely love them. They are phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. But equally, the air cooled cars and the air cooled community doesn't need me to wax lyrical about oh, it the definitely doesn't. there are so many people doing it it doesn't need my voice that's not to say i have a dislike towards the car it just may, you know me adding my voice to it is going to do nothing what i am saying is well hey for half the price you know if you're looking at a 993 for half the price a 996 is incredible value for money and it's quicker it's faster it's lighter it's more economical and you know it's got and, air and conditioning it works yep yeah well yeah exactly it's, you know <laughs> and i love throwing all those bits in just to see like 993 yeah. and square yeah. in their seat a little bit but you know the 993 is a fantastic car as I'll i say yep, there sure. is a car out there for everybody and 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 porsche is really good at, at mm-hmm. doing that isn't it and offering that so yeah sure how, well, how do you feel how do you feel about the um energy it's been put into the products like Singer and Gunther Works for those, you know, older, I want to say, the, the, the most modern of the air-cooled cars, you know, and, you know, there's clearly an audience for it because they're selling the cars. And, you know, you talk to people or you listen to people like Chris Harris where he's just, hallelujah, holds it up, you know, like a church in the choir for the church type thing on how good these cars are. And, look, the reality is very few of us will ever get behind the wheel of one. I don't know if you've had the opportunity, but the – you know, and the, the photography and videography of any singer you ever see is just to die for if you're a Porsche person. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we were fortunate that um, Rob Dickinson, obviously the proprietor at Singer. Oh, I did hear him. Yes, I heard him on one of your podcasts only not long yeah, ago. Well, he, yeah, that's it. I mean, he guest edited. I don't know if you'll be able to see actually, but he guest edited the 200th issue of Total 911. He's he signed. Oh, yep. he's, copy uh, via yep. a friend of the, of the issue and signed it for me which was a very very nice very thoughtful thing to do um but you know he or singer's mantra as you know everything is important and and i learned that that is absolutely very much the case when he guest edited the the issue of total 911 i genuinely handed over the reins of that magazine to him and, and every last sentence that went into that publication <laughs> really mattered which of course it should um so, I mean, look, as Ben Dimson said to me, just going back to my interview with, with him, I asked him about the Singer cars because he designed the 964. Sure, which is based on. on yep. there. Yeah, and then, you know, and, and he raised a really valid point, and that's that, well, Ben Dimson and his team, well, it was only a small team at the time, I think there's probably more people now working on a Singer than there was working on a Porsche 964 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they built the very best 911 they could of the time according to um budgets and constraints regarding safety sure. and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. 
Um, and, and Singer is doing it now where they're, they're certainly not constrained by budgets. It's as simple as that. So if you're given complete free reign to design the 964 of your dreams, well, you know, Singer have got it bang on, haven't they? And, and But they're, 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 they're afforded a, a space in which to do that. They And, and to be fair, Rob even said in, in his interview with us on Road to Redline that Singer's incredibly lucky, as is good for works, to have that clientele to say, well, look, so like the ACS project for, with Singer, some customer was, you know, potty enough to say, don't really care what it costs, let's do it. I've got all you know. the money in the world. Can you spend it for me, please? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So it's, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think um, the the detriment or the downside of, of, of the, certainly the Singer stuff where they're working on 964s um, is the values of 964s just have not stopped going up and up and up. And, and the reason is it's getting harder and harder and harder to find a good one. I mean, now, if you are looking for, particularly in this country, a good manual coupe non-sunroof 964 c2 you know especially with low miles you're you're knocking on six figures and and let's not forget that same car in 2012 2013 was worth less than 20 grand yes yeah Um, and and don't get me wrong part of that is people have realized just how awesome the 964 is as a real sweet spot between classic and, and modern Sure. Um, but the fact is where these companies are not just Singer, there are there are companies, there's a load of them in the UK, essentially evoking a Singer car. So they're they're copying a copy yep. or, or whatever. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yep. And it just means these cars are so hard to, to find and come by. So I think it's great that, that people are doing it. Um, but, you know, there's the, the originals are good cars as well, you know. Tell me um, what you guys don't talk about much on Road to Redline, which – inherently comes from its name i guess essentially is it's not a lot of track talk which inherently for is a lot of discussion of track talk amongst porsche enthusiasts and purists and you know this whole look i don't necessarily agree with it but the concept of developing the best balance between a car you can drive on the road and go to the track with but you know to me each time i've driven cars that are one way or the other too much they compromise either too much rather than add to the experience of either too much and so and as a result i could never imagine ever aspiring to a gt3 rs gt3 is borderline for me because of the comfort factor you know and again my limited driving ability combination but you know for me personally i would rather get a nice road car and then just get a track specific car i know that i'm not going to have to nurse at the track through fear of not being able to drive at home you know I'd, I'd rather trailer a track specific car that's a lot cheaper than a road car that i'm going to wreck at the track you know so yeah, just because yeah. you guys don't discuss that often i'm interested in your opinion about that whole mix of the two and you know essentially what porsche was built on as a brand you know yeah well exactly that you know and and um it difference to what you've just said to be fair mark you know the whole point of a porsche is in terms of its engineering integrity is these cars are built to be driven to the track around the track and then home again um but if you wish to trailer yours then that's that's kind of fine if at if any point you get a track car but um look you know yeah i think it's a really good point in regards to road to red line i mean obviously joe has got a, a 987 cayman that he shares with a pal you know, we've all smashed that around Silverstone a couple of times, which I think has been well documented. Um, we, we have actually got some track content coming up. Um, okay. It's, I think, something that we need to dedicate an episode to, more obviously more, more than one, but like as in just focusing on it generally. I think though where, particularly where we're only into series two, and obviously it, it, it resonates with what you're doing, when, when you start a project, you want to appeal to as many people as possible. Yes. Um, 
And we have found, and I'm well-versed in this through our stuff in, in the magazine where we've done surveys and asked for feedback. For some people, track driving with their Porsche, not on the agenda. Never has been, never will be. Yep. Um, you know, I love I love track driving. I haven't been able to do any last year due to COVID, obviously, but I cannot wait to get back on the track and have some fun. Um, but yeah, you know, I say where we've started and we've focused on other bits and pieces and other corners of culture, but... For, for some people with with regards to track days, there's no interest. And so we don't want to early on shut people off again. Alienate them, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah good yeah. point. I, I hadn't it's considered beautiful. that. And it's an excellent point you've brought up. Have you um, ever bought a brand new Porsche? No. No, I'm not, I'm not sure I would, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was going to be my next question. Would you, you know? But yeah, I, I, I don't know how, you know. I um, I mean, I like to own my cars outright, which is, I think, half the battle with, with the modern stuff. And even if you can afford, as I'm, I'm sure enthusiasts, particularly in this country, will vouch for, Porsche still likes you to, to put stuff on the drip because it's more beneficial for, for those guys, isn't it? Sure. Um, but I mean, you know, beside the whole thing of, you know, the cover being whipped off and here's your car and stuff, you know, well, it's just, I, I don't, it's not for me. And, and I think particularly where cars are going, um, I think the older stuff's more fun to drive. And I think that's where the appeal is, you know? So, um, I mean, I definitely thought when the, particularly when I was early on into my job and and the 991.1 was the car that graced showrooms. I mean, they just, you know, I could own one of these one day. Yeah, Um, sure. And and I probably... I'd probably like to as as, a, as an everyday car. I, I think they're fantastic. You know, a C4S with PDK at, at 40K, 45K now they are in this country. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, but obviously they're not new anymore. So, um, yeah. I the, just, the only reason I bring that up is there's one spec requirement I have if I was to buy a modern 911, and that is ventilated seats. Have okay, to have yeah. it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no one specs it. <laughs> you know, so like, I've, I've only ever seen one used 991 with ventilated seats, you know. So, and yeah, I just, I mind, just and especially, I mean, the 991. Go on, sorry. Yeah, I was just, yeah, the whole the whole thing of the not getting the ventilated seats, it just, I couldn't bring myself to spend that much money on a car that my Volkswagen Tig one has a feature of, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's, I don't know. It's, yeah. There's, there's it's a, a funny thing in my head on that, you know, there, there are some weird and wonderful specs out there. I, I was, um, I was sent a, a link to a car that's been sold at a specialist only last week and, and somebody was asking for their opinion on it and it had a sport chassis, uh, but just the nor it was a 991.1. Sure. Um, it had a sport chassis, but just the Bogo, four-way adjustable seats not even the sport seats plus and you just go someone is basically happily put in a firm ride but then it's just happy and they're happy to roll around in the car yeah with no support and and you know that that's that you know maybe that's something a feature we could do in the magazine or or on the podcast is kind of maybe looking at at, you know the the minefield of specs because there are people do make wrong decisions i mean especially in this country you know carrera t is a real driver's car the amount of carrera t's that are pdk Yep. <laughs> and, the, and the rear seats in the back and you just think that is so far removed from what that car is meant to be um well, yeah, the, you've the, turned into a really expensive career haven't you which is exactly it and then and so how how do you differentiate it but again it, the market certainly in this country does reflect that because uh, a manual carrera t coupe tin top um i know sunroof yes. with the proper seats you know there is a real premium for those cars if if indeed you can find them so mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know. Would would you buy a car new, Mark? I'd like I'd like to know your answer I, to that. I, oh, look, 
we have this thing in Australia called luxury car tax, which means our cars are a lot more expensive than just about anywhere else in the world, you know, and it takes a long time for a car to have depreciated enough to justify particularly Porsches because they don't depreciate you know, that badly compared to a lot of other European brands to make them attractive enough for someone to buy it from say the UK. So yeah. not a lot of cars come from Australia to go to the UK. They tend to be a lot older, you know, air cooled stuff, that type of thing. Um, this means that because of that luxury car tax, like the Taycan, and we don't get um, subsidies here for electric cars either. Okay. okay. So to give you an idea, the Taycan I reviewed last week was with its options, which weren't off the chain. They were a mid-range set of options, leather pack, that sort of thing. You know, nothing completely off, the chain, completely ridiculous. Yeah. It's, I think it was like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars Australian, which I guess is about one fifty, one sixty pounds. Now I know yeah, that yeah. car's not that much money there. You know, it's and it's the same with the nine elevens. And like I did, I, I reviewed the nine nine two. A um, how long ago was that? That was a, 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 a yeah, yeah um, probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago. That car there was, yeah. I think, three hundred and sixty thousand dollars Australian. It's Carrera S, you know, and that's it's a lot of money, you know. It's like I think I'd get better value out of buying two or three, you know, good Porsches that I, you know, I could get a stable of good quality driving experiences for that much money if I was ridiculous enough to spend, you know, median house price on one car. You know, that's, so. exactly, yeah, that's exactly my point. You know, when it comes to to a new car, you know, for all of the the fancy coffee and and that kind of thing. It, it's, it's well, what does to appeal to me is getting the spec I want. That that part of the new car really does appeal to me. But I think if you're patient, it'll pop up. Without a doubt. And, and again, particularly like going back to the 991 and how I was waxing lyrical about how good value the Gen 1 cars are, last natural aspirated 911 as well, of course. Um, I mean, it's the most populous 911 on the planet. One in five 911s are a 991 generation car. So you would hope that your desired spec would pop up eventually you know in your case well, statistically it has to doesn't it yeah yeah this is it so you know and again and therefore if you were then going to hypothetically you know rank up to that nine on two cost you've still got a good chunk of money in the bank to like you say you know kit out the stable of your dreams when it comes to oh, you, you, you could buy two nine nine ones here for the price for nine nine two Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's, really, yeah. really sickly. That's, you know, that's like, right now, you know, like all Porsche enthusiasts, I browse classifieds, you know, whatever platforms there are anywhere. I'm always looking, you know, and I think the cheapest 991 in Australia at the moment is about $139,000 Australian. Okay. You know, that's yeah. nine. that's a 2012 car PDK. Um, yes. Yeah. Black interior, silver exterior, you know, the only, you know, I think the next one up, I think there's about 27 white ones after that in the next $10,000 that you could buy, you know, because yeah. everyone of the Stormtrooper spec and don't forget to wrap my roof. <laughs> right. In yeah, black, yeah. you know, so, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. So you, you, yeah. you, you see them everywhere. But the, um, but that aside, the, so the cars still they haven't dropped in value. As in my opinion, as should I, because of the point you brought up about how many of them there are. There are just a zillion nine on ones out there. And, yeah. you know, I really thought that would bring the car down to an affordable price point, but hasn't. 
I mean, again, well, when I say affordable, that's relative, and that's affordable to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, again, I think things have that work in in that car's favour. Again, the Gen One, it's the last naturally aspirated 911. They sound fantastic. They're still extremely reliable. The interior holds up really well. Doesn't look particularly dated. Um, it has the previous PCM, obviously, that isn't compatible with Apple CarPlay, which can be a bit of a problem. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's still an absolutely fantastic car that holds up really, really well. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a quality car. It's an absolute quality car. What do you think is going to be the next Porsche you purchase? See, this, um, it, again, it comes down to lifestyle, Mark, doesn't it? Oh, do you have and, kids? I mean, uh, no, I see I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding it for as long as I can and just uh, enjoying the toys. But if, if I'd like to do it at some point. Don't get me wrong. My, I my made the mistake is, of avoiding it as long as I could. Just do it. Well, do you know, somebody else said this to me really recently, do it and um, maybe getting it out of the way is the wrong thing, do, but you can say, no, no, do it and deal with it. That's what you know. Well, yeah, yeah, this is it. But, um, you, you know, need, you it, need someone to influence. Exactly that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I will be a bona fide influencer then. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, like I say, Mark, all, all in good time. I'm 32. So I'm just trying to, to enjoy myself for now as is sure. my wife, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, it comes down to lifestyle, doesn't it? And, and kind of what you want. And I, I've got no plans to get rid of my 996, really enjoying the journey with that and, and that project. Um, I, I would like maybe something that's a better daily over the 996. So again, as I said, a 991.1 C4S PDK as a cabriolet, I think ticks every single box. Um, so that would be nice. But again, uh, there is a, an itch to scratch for an air-cooled car, and I've got this weird thing for 993 Cabriolets at the moment. Uh, it's bizarre. There's an interesting so one. For, it's an interesting one for sale here in Perth at the moment. A yellow, speed yellow, 993 oh, okay. Cabriolet yeah. with yeah. it's got it's got like a hard top on it. Now, oh, okay. I don't know if this person said this made because I'd never seen one before, or it could be one of those really bizarre tech art options or something like that. I'm guessing, you know, and but it looks <laughs> almost like a. Um, it looks almost like a coupe from the yeah. photo angles that are used to sell it. it look, it's an yeah. auto and um, tip Tiptronic car. I'll, I'll find a picture of it and send it through to you. You're gonna. I've, I've never seen a hard top or like an optioned hard top on a 993 Cabriolet. What I've I find, never seen it. What I find baffling about the UK enthusiasts, and this isn't just Porsche, this is just across all brands, you're, yeah. you guys, this, you have this obsession with cabriolets over there. It's just yeah, for, those, got the for your four for days it, of right? summer, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really, and, and I tell you what as well, what's even more bizarre, particularly around this part of the world where I live, I'm not from here as well, so I feel qualified to say it, but yeah, I yeah. mean, there, there, are, there are people that drive around in cabriolets that have all the windows tinted. And like I say, th- this isn't because of our climate. It's so hot, they need to stay cool inside. So it's a case of, you know, one day they want to show off to everyone and it, it might be, yeah, God knows, whatever it is, you know, some sure. drop-top Bentley, whatever, and they want everyone to see how cool they are. And then in the next minute, they've got tinted windows and you just go, in what world does that work? But yeah, we are we are bizarre. We we, we make a habit of, of, of purchasing wrong cars for the country, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, the, the 993 Cabriolet, it's a, it's a bizarre, absolutely a bizarre choice. I'm well aware of it, but I think what resonated with me, and I mentioned it on, on our Road to Redline podcast, is um, Andreas Preuninger has one. Um, 
Dr. Frank Stefan Volliser, the head of the 9-11 production line, he has one. Um, Kuno Werner, who's part of their uh, museum team, helped restore chassis number 57. Uh, he has one. And uh, they're just like awesome little dailies for all oh, these. Mate, like, you just sounds to me like you just want to be one of the cool kids. Well, this is it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got the beard or the tattoos for it, unfortunately. But yeah, maybe another three cab might offer some respite. But, but I, thought yeah, you were I, say, I thought you were going to say Kim Kardashian's got one after that list. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so maybe she has. But yeah, oh, this, funny. again, it comes it comes down to, to lifestyle, doesn't it? And, and kind of what you want. The, the reality is there are a million different options. And um, sure. As I said, Porsche made a car for everybody. So depending on what the situation is at the time, but yeah, um, sure. Yeah. What, what about you anyway? Like, I know I'm chucking the questions back at you, but what, no, I'm what glad you are. It's it may, like it makes sense from an interview to a conversation, you know. So exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I probably, I think because of costs and what where my lifestyle is and that type of thing at the moment, I probably I, I do want to buy a 911, but I want to buy a probably a G series. I'd like a 993, right? But they're just too expensive for me. And in, like I, I used to work quite a number of years ago uh, for VDO instruments, you know, make dashes and gauges and stuff oh, like amazing. that. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I got a lot of exposure to a lot of Porsches and a lot of European cars. And I much prefer a 993 over a 964, even though 964s have leapfrogged them in value here in Australia and it seems to be a bit of a pattern everywhere in all reality, probably because of the Singer thing we spoke about earlier. But yeah. the I really like the 993 driving dynamic. I like the size of the car, but they just I just I struggle to see the value in that car at the moment with how expensive yeah. the car costs. So I think, you know, probably a G-series body, manual i'd like a 3.2 i'm not i don't i've driven a lot of nine one nine fifteen gearboxes and i've driven g50s i don't i don't appreciate the premium that you pay to get in a g50 you know i think uh if you the problem with a lot of 915s is porsches are that good they haven't been so many of them haven't been restored and fixed and the cars you know 40 years old for christ's sake so yeah. any other brand of car would have had its gearbox fixed by now so the fact that they're yeah. just blown out each time you know because you mentioned the 915 it'd have to be sorted if you were to get one i think you know most of the good ones are already sorted or and if they're not they are due to be sorted you know thinking it's okay to drive a gearbox that's got you know 216,000 miles on it and it's going to be okay i think it's a bit delusional so the you know so you don't get to fix that problem if i buy one and i'm relatively handy i'd get a car i'd feel a lot more comfortable cracking open a peanut like a g series car mechanically than i would a 993 okay, okay. I, I like the idea of an air cooled i'm sorry a water cooled daily and if i was to do so i'd probably be a manual 991 but I, again i struggle with the value of the car to with how expensive it is here um Sure. If, if there are listeners or viewers out there that feel the need to just give me the car to use, I'm okay with that as well, right? But the, <laughs> but the reality is yeah. it'll probably be a G-Series 911, just finding a good one. And, you know, I'd prefer one that someone's already spent too much money on and not recouped back for, because of what I'm going to pay them for it. But 100%. That's the holy grail, I think. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how we go. The, the 3.2 Carrera is a, is a lovely, lovely 911, you know. Um, I would say don't rule out the SC before it because um, – I, I 100% accept that. Like I've driven a lot of three liters and the SC is a good car. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's it. You know, real kind of real talky car, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. The SC. There's, the not, I don't, there's not a lot of driving dynamic difference between the three and the three two. Anyway, to me, anyway, to, I, I from the ones I've driven, but that could be reflective of the condition of the cars I've driven historically as well. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you know, the the three two Carrera did put on weight over the SC. There's kind of there's no getting away from that. Um, we all we all do as we get older. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Don't be just. I'm finding that out by the day. Um, but you know, yeah. And again, I, I, as I say to everybody, you know, three things you should consider when buying a car: condition, condition, condition. So you know, if you're looking for a three-two Carrera, this is for any of you know your viewers or listeners. Just if if I may give some advice, it would just be you know, don't don't get hung up on if it's a three-two Carrera you want in this scenario. Um, if you find a really good SC, well, look, you know that that's absolutely the right choice then isn't it rather than buying the wrong 3.2 Carrera and and none of us need a Porsche in our lives we all have one because we want one and because you know we love the cars and the culture that comes with it well yeah yeah well you know but um if you have to if you if you buy a basket case or a money pit then I'm telling you a lot of love drains from that project pretty quickly you know especially if it takes a long time yeah exactly that you know it saps the fun out of it so it's yeah condition is absolutely the number one thing in any sure. in any any portion purchase mm-hmm. you know look bo- body wise if australian delivered cars or cars that were imported to australia privately a long time ago we don't have the weather or road issues that you know a lot of the northern hemisphere people do so any cars that come to australia tend their bodies tend to be okay you know we don't you know not like three five sixes and cars like that where you can buy one and you lift the mats and you can see the road type Thing, you know, because of the age and deterioration and no treatments of the metals and stuff like that. But, you know, body-wise, it tends to be okay, but it's, it is easy to get caught up in thinking, I'll just fix this list of little things when you mention condition, and that list of little things turns into another 10, 15,000 pounds, you know, because, exactly. you know, there's some parts on a Porsche that you go, oh, geez, that's cheap, considering it's a Porsche, and there are a lot of parts you go, I'm paying a premium for that because it's a Porsche. Yeah, Porsche tax, as it's known. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> come on, why can't we have more V Dub compatible parts? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be free, yeah. Where's this VW group integration that we keep hearing so much? Yeah, that's about? right. There's not enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then, buddy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. It's been great meeting you face to face and having this discussion and um yeah i'm really enjoying the products that you're putting up for us all to enjoy whether it's the podcast or youtube and print still that you're getting out there so oh yeah again thanks for your time today and um i hope you've uh, had had fun doing this with me just shooting the breeze Big time. Yeah, Mark, I have to say, you know, like I said at the, the top of the chat, it's genuinely my pleasure to come on and, and talk about cars with you. And um, I have to say as well, I've really enjoyed the questions that you've put to me. That's been a really enjoyable chat. You've not been not been afraid to ask those questions. So um, from a journalist, that really resonates. So okay, it'd, be nice to, it'd be nice to reciprocate the, the invite and, and for you to come on our podcast on Road to Redline. So I sure. think it'd be really good value to have a good good chat with Joe and Andy. And um you know, yeah, may, maybe it'll be a track day one. <laughs> After oh, I've got no experience in it. I was just curious, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't drive yeah. on the track, you know, so. Yeah, no, I'm only joking. Because you know, I'm, that, I'm, not, nice I'm not going to do it to that. That's too pretty, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, there's there's more things that can go wrong than right in that scenario of the 356 on yeah. track, you know. Yeah, so. I, I don't need no, to be I, that. I don't need to be the person that said, oh, did you see that guy took his 356 on the track? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this is, you know, funny enough, it was about two years ago at Silverstone, it was a Porsche Club GB track day. And there was a guy in a Carrera GT went out in the afternoon. 
and everyone, I mean, he was poodling around. It was pretty much a parade lap, but we were just saying, no, look, fair play, because even then there's more that can go wrong than right with a CGT out on track. So, yeah. Uh, yep. But yeah, no, like, like I say, let's, let's do it. It'd be lovely to get you on Road to Redline. And, and genuinely, thank you, thank you for your time. No worries. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, Lee. <laughs>